This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Michelle. I am Dave's wife. You are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Dave and Matt. <laughs> Dave is definitely the best. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. Welcome to episode 69 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 6th, and we're reading your tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us at Two-Headed Nerd on the Twitter. My name is Matt Baum. And when I'm not thrilled to have my new co-host, Dave DeMarco, Yay! back with me for another amazing show, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. Thanks, new friend. Hey, no problem, buddy. <laughs> and I'm Dave DeMarco, your new co-host for the Twitter Nerd forever. Forever! Forever! <gasps> Joe! Surf's up, DeMarco. Was a shotgun. And I'm Joe Patrick, married guy extraordinaire, and when I'm not reminding my traitorous co-host who the real star power is around here, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You was my friend, you bastard. This week, you'll hear reviews of Before Watchmen, Minutemen, number one, and Hardbringer, number one. After that, we'll review ten comics so fast, Carl Rove's American Crossroads Super Pack will launch an ad calling the ludicrous speed round Dangerous for America. And then... We'll pay a visit to THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, we'll answer one lucky listener's questions as a part of our Ask a Nerd segment. But before we get to all the one-upping and name-dropping, let's take a second to ask Ridley Scott just how in the hell Prometheus is not supposed to be an alien prequel when something is clearly getting ready to bust out of Numi Rapace's chest in the damn trailer. And then we can talk about this week's big news. In a move that should surprise absolutely no one, Warner Brothers has quietly reactivated development on their long-shelved Justice League and Wonder Woman movies, presumably in response to the staggering success of Marvel's Avengers film. <laughs> Do you think they noticed that? I don't know. <laughs> I like to imagine a bunch of Warner Brothers executives literally yeah. crapping their pants. Or they're like, whatever, <laughs> Batman's still number three. What, it's not like it's going to beat that. Oh, it what? It just, huh? <laughs> Will Beale, screenwriter of something called Gangster Squad, <laughs> what the hell? Ha- I don't know, <laughs> has been hired to write the Justice League script while Michael Goldberg, one of the many screenwriters of the Green Lantern film, will tackle Wonder Woman. It was a triumph. <laughs> All of this begs the question, will Man of Steel be reworked into a movie that can tie into a shared DC film universe, or is Warner Brothers just going to go for broke with a Justice League film without worrying about world building? Matt, does Warner Brothers have any hope at all of digging themselves out of this hole? I I can't remember who said it, but I, it was a quote that I heard a long time ago, and it makes sense, and I think it works here, but he was talking about the success of Titanic and how rather than learning that if you give a director his own vision and his own script and you keep your hands off, he can make more money than any movie that's ever played in the theaters. All Hollywood learned was people want to see movies about big boats. You right, know? right, right. I can't remember who made the quote, but it worked here. And I'm guessing, no, they're not going to rework Superman. I'm guessing we're just going to get a Justice League movie. Boom. And it may or may not star the same guy that's in Superman because, hey, he didn't cost that much. And, you know, we can just do Batman with whoever. I, I just don't think they care as much as Marvel Studios cares, like, 
not cares about making money, but cares about their properties. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's that they don't care so much as they're just completely oblivious to what people actually want to see. Yeah, you gotta wonder. It just seems like they're just shooting in the dark. Screw yeah. it. Put Ryan Reynolds in the movie. We'll make tons of money. Right. Boom. He's you a know? star, right? Yeah. It's so hard to get excited. In other DC news, the publisher confirmed the existence of the September Zero Month event that THN reported a few weeks back. As the original rumor stated, each DC title released in September will be a zero issue that fills in past continuity of the DC universe. What has now come to light, however, is the announcement of four new titles that will debut with zero issues in September and will replace four titles that DC plans to cancel. Let's see if you can guess what those are. The new titles are Talon, co-plotted by Scott Snyder and James Tynan IV. Written by Tynan, drawn by Guillaume March, who I love. I sincerely hope Catwoman's not going away, because I love that book. The series will feature a new character named Calvin Rose, the only Talon to break free of the control of the Court of Owls and is now on the run from his former masters. The Phantom Stranger, written by DC co-publisher and everybody's favorite writer, Dan DiDio, who Joe Patrick <laughs> revealed before this podcast he secretly loves, with art by Astro Cities, Brent Anderson. I don't remember keeping it a secret. You love him. It's his bald head, isn't it? Sword of Sorcery, <laughs> a magic anthology in the vein of all-star western with lead story featuring the return of Amethyst, Princess of Gem World. Yes! Because somebody demanded it. Yeah. <laughs> By Christy Marks and Aaron LaPriesty, who I really like. And a rotating backup feature beginning with Beowulf and Grendel by Tony Bedard and Jesus Saez. Team 7, a series set in the DCU's past featuring a team of agents brought together to act as a countermeasure against newly emerging superheroes. The new Team 7 will feature Amanda Waller, Dinah Lance, Steve Trevor, John Lynch, Alex Fairchild, Cole Cash, and the part that left me absolutely not excited at all about this book, Slade Wilson. How could it not be starring dumb, Slade Wilson? Dumb, 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 The series will be written by Justin Jordan, who I really like, author of Strange Town of Luther Strode, with art by Jesus Marino, who I also like. But you want me to believe that all this stuff went down with the Teen Titans in the past five years with Slade Wilson? And they said that, like, all oh, that stuff stands. No, they With Cyborg and the... They did not. The no, they did not. Judas Gambit or whatever. Oh, no, they did not. I, I thought all that stuff stood. No, not necessarily. And somehow Slade crammed Team 7 into all this, too? Hey, man, you gotta you gotta make your money somehow. I suppose. Of the four books being canceled to make way for these new titles, only Justice League International has been announced. As of this recording, the publisher is still reviewing the line to decide which titles get the axe. Joe, what do we think about these new books? And more importantly, what do we think is getting canceled? Oh, man. Uh, like, well, I'm really... Firestorm. Dead. I'm calling it. I'm really excited for Talon. Yeah, you know, it'll be and great. And Team 7. I, yeah, I just... They need to do something with Deathstroke. Also going to get canceled. Because it just sucks. They've done nothing with the character, and what they're doing now is even more pointless than what they were doing before. Maybe this makes Deathstroke more interesting. Right. It, it could be a super fun book. I will say that of the four, those two are the ones I'm most excited about. I don't think the other two sound bad. I just don't think they'll sell. I don't think they have any Like I don't know how Phantom Stranger or Sword of Sorcery sells any better than, let's say, mm, Hawk and Dove. Right. Phantom Stranger, a book that they could take any one of their super talented Vertigo writers and put on and put them on this book, and you might have instant hit. Mike Carey, who's writing the unwritten, would be awesome writing a Phantom Stranger book. Maybe Dan DeDeal's the one that had an idea for a story. I'm or sure he maybe did. he also just happens to be the, <laughs> the big man Listen, in charge. You're looking for conspiracies again where Whatever. there are probably 
aren't any. The Phantom Stranger appeared in the DC uh, Free Comic Book Day offering, which means it's going to tie in heavily probably to all the stuff going on with the big upcoming crossover. He appeared in the backup of Justice League. with And and I get it. I just think you want to get people excited about this book from issue one. You don't put Dan DiDio's name. I don't think it's going to be like Dial H, which it seems disconnected from everything. Right. And so the writer has free reign. I think Phantom Stranger will probably heavily tie into whatever's going on in the larger DC universe. Cancel books. Firestorm. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the sales are, but just judging by what we sell at the shop, uh, Green Arrow, I can't believe how many people have selling better than you think it is, though. It's still doing okay. But I want it to die. Oh, it's awful. I want it to be taken out back and murdered. Captain Adam can't be selling that well. No. Deathstroke is definitely almost dead. Voodoo, though, probably. Voodoo, probably dead. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Hawkman die as well. Well, maybe. Maybe maybe that's why Rob Liefeld took over those three books, just so that they could limp along to September. <laughs> so that would make it Savage, Hawkman, uh, Deathstroke, and Grifter. There you yeah. go. Boom, bang. Three candidates. Rounding out our all-DC big news segment, BleedingCool.com is reporting rumors that DC Comics is courting potential candidates to replace Jim Lee as the artist of Justice League. While no time frame for Lee's exit was given, DC is reportedly planning for the future, maybe even several creative runs in advance, meaning that artists currently serving under exclusive contracts with Marvel could be eligible for the job. According to the site, Jeff Johns will continue writing the book after Lee's departure. Now, Matt, assuming the rumor is true and anyone could be a candidate, which artist would you choose to follow Lee on the Justice League? I'm going to stick with a Jim, and I'm going to go Jimmy Chung. I would love to see Jimmy Chung. That's better than mine. <laughs> draw the Justice League. It would be so cool. I don't know that Jim Chung can actually produce. I don't think he can keep up. I think he's too, yeah. I, but you said, hey, no rules, whatever. No, it's true. That's what I want to see. Uh, Olivier Quapel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. Or Ivan Rice, I think, needs to be promoted to. Yeah, there's no reason. Or Doug Mankey. There's no reason why Doug Mankey couldn't take that job and knock it out of the park. He's done it before. He's filled in on Justice League plenty of times. He had a a decent run on on JLA after uh, Mark Wade's run. I love Aquaman. I love it. Yeah, I do too. But I think Ivan Rice needs to be put on like an A plus level book, and Justice League is that book. I agree. I could see him. I think that book makes his career. He's already proven himself. Yeah. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where we are currently courting another guest host to cover for me while I'm gone on tour with my band later this summer. The winner will be decided in a last man standing Twitter battle. We're calling the great Twitter Donnybrook of 2012, which is harder to say out loud than you think. So if you've got what it takes, throw your hat in the ring by using the hashtag Donnybrook and pick a Twitter fight. Donnie Brook is spelled D O N N Y B R O O K for those of you who've never yeah, heard that word out loud. Donnie Brook, whatever. <laughs> Program note. As of next week, <laughs> we are going to tweet out the question of the week ahead of time, and then we will read your answers because the sheer amount of unreadable tweets for reasons of content, feed, wiener pictures, <laughs> wiener pictures, you name it, is just overwhelming. So, starting next week, we will tweet out the question of the week. And read your answers as they come in. So pay attention, nerds. But for this show, we're sticking with the old format. Joe Patrick, read me a tweet. Onk182 asks... Like Turk 182 Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Onk182 asks, what are the three most important graphic novels to keep on your bookshelf? Whoa. 
Whoa. One we'll be discussing later has to be Watchmen. Uh, maybe. It has to be. Does it? You've got to have Watchmen on your bookshelf. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're into superhero comics, yes. Hmm. The next one, Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. It's I don't think of, there's an argument against it. Well, the problem with this question is that it's really hard not to just regurgitate the same list of classics. Like, But there's a reason why that list of classics exists. Yeah, I understand. But like, I've read Watchmen, but I read Watchmen as an adult in the late 90s, and I didn't think it was as great as everyone said it was. I, com- I still completely now, disagree with you. An- it's not that it wasn't good. It's just that I did not have the benefit of reading it when it came out, when it captured that lightning in the bottle. So by the time I got to Watchmen, it had already been deconstructed and copied. I think it's still an totally infinite holds number up. of times. I, re- I reread it right before the movie came out, and it completely held up. Totally held up for me. Mm-hmm. I, and I still, I plan on revisiting it again, and probably later this year, maybe next year. I love that book. Hmm. Batman, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Dark Knight Returns is good. I kind of prefer Batman Year One. Uh, yeah, I mean, much thinner read, I suppose. But I mean, as far as a formative Bat story, good God, it's got to be yeah, number I one. Yeah, I mean, Dark, Dark Knight Returns is excellent. Again, hard to read now knowing what we know about Frank Miller True. and his absolute crazy pants. You got to separate the man from the art. Number three, Kingdom Come. Mark Wade's Kingdom Come. Ooh, or Marvel's. I think Kingdom Come and Marvels kind of share a space. I think Kingdom Come more so than Marvels. I the reason I say no Alex Ross, Mark Wade, oh my god. The reason I say Marvels over Kingdom Come is that Kingdom Come has a has a stronger appeal if you know what it's homaging whereas Marvels is a straight beloved careful oh, okay. thoughtful examination of the history of Marvel. That is fair. I'm just I'm saying whole package Regardless of just looking at a beautiful, beautiful book, Alex Ross lost his mind while he drew Kingdom, painted Kingdom Come. Yeah. And the story is just amazing. You don't have to know. I've just handed it to other people and had them read it. And they went, Is this what DC comics are like? No. No, actually, not at all. (laughs) No, most of them aren't important whatsoever. Because it would have been 1998. (laughs) No, DC Comics are not like this. (laughs) This question is a little hard because not everybody likes superheroes. We do, though, so those are our answers. There are 12 essential books for your bookshelf, Aaron. Right. It's review time again, where each week Matt and I put on our consultation jackets and place two comics in the stirrups to probe them deeply, yes. searching for a good story. Matt, yeah, but I almost made a speculum joke. Oh, God. Matt, what did you... It's a tool. I, I know what it is, but I left it out. I had it written in. I was like, that's just too gross. <laughs> Matt, what did you read this week? I read Before Watchmen Minutemen number 1, written and drawn by Darwin Cook. This is DC's first installment of their controversial Before Watchmen event. Controversial. And leading off with multi-Eisner Award winning writer and artist Darwin Cook is certainly putting your best foot forward. This is the story of the Minutemen, the first superhero group to emerge after World War II in the Watchmen universe. Now, there's been more than enough talk of the controversy behind this event, so I decided I'm not even going to mention it. We're just going to judge the book. We're just going to talk about what we've got in front of us, the comic that Darwin Cook made. Cook goes through giving us a very brief look at each of the members 
through a flashback that's narrated by the first night owl, Hollis, as he's writing the ending to his book, Under the Hood, which we see referenced in Watchmen. The new night owl is a big fan of it and goes back to talk to Hollis several times. And it's one of the reasons he became the night owl in reading these adventures and remembering him as a kid and stuff like that. The use of the flashback works really, really well here. And it ties in really well with Watchmen as well without changing anything or really adding anything brand new. It looks to me like Cook is going to flesh out the history that was in this book. Basically looking at the notes that come directly from Watchmen that Alan Moore wrote. He goes through each of the members and adds some little personal facts that we haven't seen before that really begin to flesh out the characters, but he does so paying very close attention to Moore's original story. There was nothing that he threw into any of these characters that I went, uh, I don't remember anything like that, or I, I don't buy that. There's a scene with the hanged man that was just masterful. Yeah, that was great. We don't learn anything about the character, and we shouldn't. I hope when this is done, I still don't know anything about the hanged man. Yeah. Other than the fact that he is terrifying. <laughs> He's absolutely terrifying. Like, you wet yourself when the hanged man <laughs> comes to get you. The Silk Spectre is set up as a media darling, foiling fake crimes set up by her manager. The Mothman is it's so cool where they took this character, because we really only got this brief look at him in the very beginning of Watchmen, and it was basically him cracking up and being carried away and taken to an insane asylum. But in truth, he was this brilliant inventor that created this glider system. And he was so afraid of his own like, device yeah. that he drank. Well, and he had constantly was taking aspirin for the injuries because he tested all this stuff himself. I, I love all the, the just the little details. Like he's got to like watch his weight. His weight can't yeah. vary by more than three pounds plus or minus. And he has to clock the windage the whole time yeah, he's like, flying. Just the act of using it was such a complicated, dangerous thing. And that... the way they set him up, like it, Hollis is saying, like this guy was easily the bravest of us because mm-hmm. the rest of us. I mean, yeah, we hopped he jumped around off and buildings. had powers. This guy <laughs> created a glider and flew around with it that he tested himself. Yeah. And every time he flew with it, he was afraid he was going to die. Right. <laughs> Very cool. It was probably likely he was going to die. Yeah. You know, we, we get to see a peek of the comedian as a younger kid, and his psychosis has been revealed as always being there. He's just been kind of a messed up dude. Uh, we see Dollar Bill, who is like the hero of this banking institution. <laughs> like, come bank with us, the only bank that has a superhero protecting it. And we also meet uh, Captain Metropolis, who is sort of like this Captain America type character, who was really the character that brings all the Minutemen together. Of course, Cook's art here is perfect to tell this kind of like gritty, golden age superhero story. And I was totally surprised, Phil Noto, artist Phil Noto does the colors here. And oh, I didn't notice that. They are amazing. The panels are full of brilliant blues and yellows and orange, but there's this really slight sepia effect that isn't overwhelming, but just enough to make the story feel like a flashback, to make it feel older, at golden age, if you will. This first issue was handled beautifully and with the utmost respect for Moore's masterpiece. I, I, I can't say that enough, and I'm not just sucking up because I wasn't super mad about the idea of Before Watchmen. Because Alan Moore's a listener. Right. If the rest of the Before Watchmen series is handled this well, and with this high of quality storytelling, I don't think anyone who was mad about this event will be able to call it a bad thing. I cannot give this a bigger buy-it. This was fantastic. 
it was good. It was really good. I enjoyed reading it, and I'm giving it a buy it. I don't know if I can like give it the super enthusiastic like you can't pass, you can't afford to pass it up. I'm really surprised. Uh, I'm surprised you can't. It's not that it wasn't great. I did really enjoy it, but for somebody like me who doesn't have a strong attachment to the original material, I feel like it doesn't have the same impact. Uh, I'm not saying okay. It, I, I'm giving it a buy it. It's very good. Uh, like whatever fears people had that it would be a train wreck, it's not. It's not a train wreck at all. No. But I didn't lose my mind over it, which sounds negative. But I also didn't lose my mind over the original Watchmen. So see, I guess I did, and this just like immediately brought those feelings back to me. Like it's sure. not. He's not writing like Alan Moore. Well, he's that's writing like praise. Darwin Cook. If you if you're saying that reading this recaptured the feeling you got when you read the original Watchmen, that that's the highest praise. It, you can it get. absolutely did. It made me and and the way that they did it was so well because they're focusing on this one thing. They're concentrating on the Minutemen and telling that story. I don't know. I think it's going to be really difficult when they go into these other, like the Silk yeah. Spectre miniseries, the Comedian miniseries, stuff like that. That's going to be really tough. Yeah, I mean. And it's important to note that this is issue one of one of seven series. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes from here. The rest of the books might be train wrecks, but as far as the Minutemen goes, it was a really good start. Oh, and the Len Wein backup. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. The Curse of the Crimson Corsair. Yeah. A lot of fun and fantastic art. Beautiful art. Can't remember the guy's name. John Higgins. John Higgins. Beautiful. Joe, why don't you tell us about Harbinger number one from Valiant Comics? All right, this was written by Joshua Dysart with art by Carrie Evans, colors by Ian Hannon. Here's your solicit from Diamond. Read minds. Ben Steele, break all the rules. Teenager Peter Stenchek is out of work, on the skids, and, unbeknownst to him, a psionic-powered hardbringer <laughs> with the potential to reshape the course of human history. Toyo Harada is a wealthy business magnate, a respected philanthropist, and the most powerful hardbringer of all, or so he thought. As they forge an uneasy alliance, will Harada offer Peter a chance for redemption, or attempt to induct him into a secret network of conspiracies, subversion, and control? Peter is about to discover that he's not alone in the world, and soon, the generation who has nothing will take on the man who has everything. Longest solicit ever. Super long. Oh my god. Now, I said it when we re-reviewed Exo Manowar last month. I was never a Valiant fan during their 90s heyday, so I don't really have any connection to any of these properties. But I do remember that the original Harbinger series got a lot of praise at the time. So I was excited to at least check it out. Uh, The book opens on a younger Toyo Harada. He's confident of his abilities and is in search of his destiny. And then we flash forward to today and find a completely rudderless Peter... A mental institution escapee on the run. Drug addict. With his crazy best friend, Joe. He's not a drug addict. He's stealing drugs to drown out the voices in Uh, his head. I think a lot of drug addicts are doing that, to tell you the truth. (laughs) But he's literally like, can't turn off his own telepathy. I get it. Now, there isn't a ton of forward momentum in this issue, plot-wise. Instead, uh, Dysart spends his time filling us in on Peter's backstory, or at least hinting at it. Dysart does a great job making Peter a believable character. Uh, he's an imperfect teenager. He's got power beyond his understanding. He just makes horrible decisions. Well, and that's kind of what I loved, was like... He is completely believable. For the first time, it's not Freddie Freeman. You know, like, I'm the sweetest kid ever, and right, oh, right. I got some powers. I'm going to use them for good. You know, like, right. he's a bad person, and he does some terrible things Well, I, I will say, without spoiling anything, it is unclear how far he takes it, <laughs> I thought. 
I don't think so. I think it was pretty clear what happened. All right, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm, we're gonna mute the mic for one second. We had a little off mic debate just then. <laughs> Suffice it to say, he did some. He does something really bad. He's a deeply flawed character. Yes, and but it's believable because it's like if you hand a teenager the keys to a sports car. Oh yeah, is he going to drive it responsibly yeah, and obey somehow, all traffic laws? In every Marvel or DC no. comic, every teenager that gets powers turns out to be the greatest kid <laughs> yeah, in the world. Exactly. Uh, and of course, he does not think about the consequences of his actions. Peter's world is colored in a pretty drab palette, while Harada's scenes have vibrant splashes of color and when the two characters finally meet you get a real sense that a veil is lifting and peter is stepping into a a larger world meanwhile we see a bit of the b plot with the shadowy organization trailing peter and is using joe his mentally unstable sidekick to get to him the two plots intersect for a great cliffhanger and it has me excited for more a dicert script does a wonderful job setting up the characters in the story rather than moving full speed ahead with a lot of plot. And I think it was a wise decision because we need to care about these characters. Yeah, definitely. Or at least be interested in them. And I honestly think like showing us the flaws in this guy, I mean, it makes you just like care. It, it would not work as well if they had gone straight to the scene where he meets Harada right. without taking the time to get to know him. Right. Now, unlike Exo Manowar, where the concept is the hook, I think this book is will be all about the character. It's all going to be about the story, I think. Yeah. This is they're building a huge universe. Here. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been a fan of Carrie Evans uh, since his Daughters of the Dragon miniseries from Marvel yeah, several years ago. He's great. His art is as good as ever. I am excited to see him cut loose when the action really gets going. This issue had a lot of people talking in offices and empty houses. <laughs> so, But still not boring. No, no, no. As I said before, the colors by Hannon are utilized well. I do think, though, overall, the palette seems pretty heavy and saturated. There are a lot of heavy blues and yeah. reds. And even when a variety of other color ter- colors are added, uh, they seem kind of dark. Yeah. And so I wonder if maybe a softer, more vibrant palette would suit the book a little better. I will say the same for the Bloodshot preview in the back, too. Yeah, very murky. Really heavy color. Overall, though, I thought uh, this was a great first issue. I really liked it. I'm excited to read more. So I'm saying Valiant relaunch is two for two. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I totally agree. So far, Valiant nailing it. And doing a great job, and you can tell they're giving these creators a room to work with the characters. I don't think there's a lot of editorial here. I think they're saying, look, man, build a universe. Yeah, and I think the best thing you can say about it is that each new release gets me more excited for the next one. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally pumped for Bloodshot. Good job, guys. Yeah, and the Bloodshot preview? Awesome. Oh, yeah. It was great. I loved it. (laughs) I'm really excited to read it. A psychic is a person who can read your mind. He knows what you're thinking. He's one of us. As always, we want to know what you Minutemen and Psyots thought of these comics, so let us know how unnecessary and rehashed our reviews were over at our Facebook page. It seems Matt and I were deemed too dangerous for humanity and have found ourselves tricked onto a rocket ship by Nick Fury Sr., destined for a planet two-headed nerd where we will fight alongside the slave classes gladiator style until we ultimately become king. But before we get to all that, Nick was nice enough to give us something to read and review on our Faster Than Light journey during the ludicrous speed round. That's one king with two crowns, by the way. Hong Kong, time for Supernova. Hi-ya! Ludicrous speed, go! Double jumpers, number one from Action Lab. Uh, This is like a a kind of a guild-style video game 
in, video gamers in the real world kind of comic, but it's filthy. <laughs> And I wasn't that into it at first, but there's a great twist at the filthy, end. Like pornography, filthy? Or no, just it's like the guild. The guild is super tame. This okay. was like it had cussing, uh, but I really liked it, and it was funny. I'm giving it a, a buy it. I think. Yeah. Extermination number one from Boom Studios. This is a fun twist on the alien invasion theme. It's sort of a what if Captain America slash Batman hero teamed up with like a Lex Luthor slash Doctor Doom villain to fight an alien invasion force after the fall of society. Like, the world is screwed. Great dialogue, really nice art. They did a really good job with the flashback without, like, being too heavy-handed. I had a lot of fun with this. Buy this. And it was only a dollar. It was only a dollar. If you don't buy it, you're a jerk. Earth 2, number 2 from DC. This is the gayest comic book I read all week. (laughs) This might be the gayest comic ever. But seriously, folks, I love Earth 2. I'm a huge fan of the old Earth 2 and the JSA. This new version by James Robinson is excellent. He's doing a great job with the world building. I think I might be more interested in Earth 2 than I am about the main DC. And tell your friends, Hal Jordan is not gay, but Ryan Reynolds is. <laughs> I'm giving this book a buy hit. Action Comics number 10 from DC Comics. It says right in the solicit, this is the death of Clark Kent, which, if you're restarting the super mythos, is a ballsy curveball for Morrison to throw. Great art by Rags Morales, great story by Morrison. I'm a little confused as to why sometimes Soups is wearing a t-shirt and jeans, other times he's wearing his uniform. I'm tired of T-shirt and jeans, to tell you the truth. But it's a great read. This is part one of a three-part storyline. Buy this. Thief of Thieves, number five from Image. I recently got all caught up on this book. It is like a caper movie. It is some of the best dialogue ever. On paper, I love a good caper story. This is like Ocean's Eleven in all the best ways, right down to like recruiting the team. Except there's a really wicked twist at the end. I love it. I'm giving it a buy it. Creator Own Heroes, number one from Image. It's a new anthology comic from... Comics impresario Jimmy Palmiotti. There's two stories here, American Muscle by Steve Niles and Kevin Mellon, and Trigger Girl number six by Palmiotti and Gray and Phil Noto. Both stories are really fun. The Phil Noto story has a little nudity in it, and it's a great big splash page. So uh, just make sure no one's looking over your shoulder while you're reading this one. But this was great. This brought back like a lot of the fun of the old anthology books. Palmiotti has a thing in the back where it's a long interview where he's saying anything goes here, where it's going to run with ideas we've had. This is a big Thick read for $3.99. I love the idea. A lot of fun. Buy this. Mudman number four from Image. This book is perpetually late, and I don't care because Paul Grist packs more character yeah. into 22 pages than most writers and artists do in an entire year. I love it. It's so much fun. Ugh. Buy it. Why aren't you buying it? It's Buy only this issue book. four. It really is fun. Prophecy number one from Dynamite. Finally, Ron Mars has written the Red Sonia Vampirella Sherlock Holmes Dracula crossover we all <laughs> demanded. It, okay, in all seriousness, Mars does a good job making these characters readable, and there's sort of a time travel thing going on. The Mayan end of the world prophecy is involved, and it looks like Vampirilla and Red Sonia are the only ones that can stop it. You know, I mean, like, if you like these characters, you'll get a kick out of this. The art by Giovanni was pretty solid. I'm giving it a skim it. Hulk 53 from Marvel. Speaking of Mayans. I, I keep trying to get back into the Red Hulk book. I can't do it either. Listen, this is well written. This is the first part of a new storyline. Dale Eaglesham is the artist now, and it is beautifully drawn. I just don't care. I don't either. I'm sorry. Thunderbolt Ross is not doing it for me anymore. And they're referencing thi- they were referencing things that I completely missed with no editor's notes. I'm giving it a skim it because it was so well done, but it's not for me anymore. I'm, I'm not going to read it. 
speaking of Jeff Parker, Dark Avengers 175. Thunderbolts is now Dark Avengers, a name that I hate, and I hate it even more when they refer to themselves as the Dark Avengers. Dark Spider-Man? That is a name this dude chose? Dark that's, Scarlet Witch? That's terrible. No, she's Toxie Moxie now. <laughs> that's stupid. Even worse than Dark Scarlet Witch. It's just as bad as Fake or He-Man. It's just dumb, <laughs> you know? Like, this is probably a ploy to raise sales on the title. I just don't see it working. This is a sinking ship. It was not good. It felt really forced. Oh, that's a shame. I did not like because it. Because the Thunderbolt series has been really it good. It has been great. And suddenly it took a left turn to Stupidville. Leave it. Oh, God. Kathoom! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Kathoom is a sound made when a Hellfire missile blows up the plane carrying Trigger Girl number six's target, as seen as this week's creator-owned heroes number one, where she gets naked. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I will be snacking on special brownies baked with care and a secret mystic ingredient. By the Phantom Stranger himself, these brownies will allow us to peer into the future of next week's comics. Joe, what do you see yourself reading next week? I saw myself reading Spider-Man number one from Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Sarah Pacelli. This is the crossover between the Ultimate Universe and the 616 Marvel Universe, and I am actually really excited for it. We all have to read this because they said they would never do it. Well, they they said they would never do it, and then many years later they said, what, a guy can't change his mind? I suppose that's true. They've said a lot of things. Matt. Didn't we make That's a, me. Didn't we make a joke about special brownies and the Floronic Man already once? I don't think so. I think we were eating we were eating buds or smoking something he gave us. We do a lot of drugs in here. What are you reading next week? I'll be reading the massive number one from Dark Horse, written by Brian Wood, with art by Christian Donaldson. This is from the guy who brought us DMZ, and I cannot wait to see his take on sci-fi. By the way, mad props to Dark Horse for sending out a complete PDF of number one to retailers so they could see exactly what they're ordering. That is doing the job right. Excellent work, gentlemen. And of course, we want to know what you nerds are reading. So hit us up on our Twitter or Facebook and let us know. Joe Patrick, before we move on, why don't you read us another tweet? Our good buddy Seanix and co-host of the Pull List Podcast wants to know, why do people like Avengers vs. X-Men? Sean writes that it should be right up his alley, but it isn't. You know what? I've been enjoying it. I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's been a great read. Up until issue five, the <laughs> way that issue five ended, I kind of just went, that's stupid. I, I haven't read <laughs> issue five yet. I, I have looked at it, I, uh, but it does seem completely it took, silly. It took a silly sort of 90s turn that I didn't see coming. Up until that point, it had been fun. It, 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 now, I do think that John Romita Jr. is not the right choice for this book. Stuart Immerman, for example, would have been perfect here. Yeah. Someone along those lines. And I realize he did Fear Itself, but that was a great looking book. Well, Say what you will about is, the story. The book looked great. This is Romita Jr.'s last issue on the book. It's trading hands. The next issue is by Olivier Coipel. Which will be gorgeous. Yes. Um, I think that right now it seems silly. I don't know. It's just, it's an old school 
throwdown. Yes. There's no like real world allegory being shoved no, down my throat. This is throat. almost like a Secret Wars. I feel. get it, Fear Itself. Life is hard. There's lots to be afraid of. You're screaming. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're but screaming, sir. This is just a good old fashioned throwdown in in a classic style, and I'm I just am having fun with it. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, is it silly? Yes. Are the characters behaving a little out of character to suit the plot? Maybe, but it's just a fun read. Yeah, it and has been fun, and the tie-ins have been solid. I think so the far. tie-ins have been really. Solid. I think it's been effective, and I and maybe you're looking for more of that allegory, that big Marvel story they've been doing. I don't know, Sean. I can't speak to you. You're kind of a weirdo, so I mean, <laughs> I don't know what goes on in your fucking head. But uh, my point being, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying why I understand that that it might not be for everybody. I will say personally, it's refreshing for me and it's been fun. Sure. I did not care for the end of this fifth one. We'll see where it goes from here. There you go. Once again, it is time for Joe and I to do our best click and clack impersonation and take a look under the hood of one lucky listener. Those guys announced that they're retiring this week. I know. I'm going to miss them so damn much. <laughs> That's right. Ask a Nerd Time is here again. This week's question comes from Aaron Myers, who I think we can now crown the king of Ask a Nerd. Congratulations, Aaron. Nobody else loves us enough to write in. It's not that. It's just his questions are great. <laughs> Aaron writes, with Before Watchmen out now, what other quote-unquote standalone properties would you want to see get spinoffs and fleshed out more? What should never, ever, ever be touched? I would argue with Before Watchmen hitting the stand that the question, what should never, ever, ever be touched, maybe could be taken off the board. No, I mean... Because, like, I mean, what else is... Really, like, another... I don't know. Well, we saw what happened when they tried to do, like, the prequels to Kingdom Come. Those sucked. They were bad. But, like, Kingdom Come was not sacrosanct. No, no, no. And neither was Marvel's, and there was a Marvel's follow-up written by Kurt Busiek. But, I mean, as far as... Was it written by Kurt Busiek? I think it was. Yeah, the Marvel's follow-up was. As far as things that should never, ever be touched, I don't really know that that there are any, but I would not have been one to say that Watchmen should never be touched. Like, if Alan Moore had wanted to do more Watchmen, I would have welcomed it. Well, if Alan Moore wanted to, I think everyone would have welcomed it, but the fact was that it wasn't him. That's why people freaked out. It's true. I I mean, as far as what shouldn't be touched, I don't know. What I would like to see fleshed out more, and I thought about this, there was a book, 2003, it was a hardcover that came out, it was a Vertigo book called The Life Eaters, and it was about what if the Nazis had summoned the Norse gods to help them fight World War II. And it was so cool. I loved that book. And I would love to see more from that universe. But if you're talking about like a self-contained like a series, I would like I would love it, for example, if like Warren Ellis came back to tell more transmetropolitan stories. The potential for problem right. is when the original creators aren't involved uh, so far before Watchmen is good. But I do not want to see anybody else writing transmetropolitan right. follow-up stories. Like, I want more global frequency, and I want oh, it now. Yes. But I don't want to see Tony, Tony Bedard. Bedard. <laughs> oh, my God! We did that at the same time! But, but Tony Bedard is the go-to guy. Yeah. We're like, who's going to write this? Tony will do it. And he's like, oh, sure, okay. Sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> As he wipes the sweat from his brow and scribbling. I don't think, like, I don't want to see more preacher follow-ups. Because Preacher, like, the main characters of Preacher literally rode off into the sunset. Yeah, it's done. The story is over. 
So, I mean, it, is it blasphemy for people to revisit it? For Garth Ennis to decide he wants to tell more? No. Not is it necessary? Done. No. And if it's done well, then it's fine. Right. Thanks for the question, Aaron. I hope we helped you out somewhat there. I mean, that, a, the answer to your question is that it's subjective. The answer is you're wrong. If you have got a comic-related question you need answered, you can send it to us via email, Twitter, or Facebook, and we might just answer it on the show. And don't forget, we are always accepting your trivia challenges for the comic savant sitting across from me, comic book Rain Man, I'm Dainty back. Joe Patrick. I'm back. I'm tan. I'm energized. Bring it on, dorks. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the triumphant return of Joe Patrick episode of the Two-Headed Nerd. If you'd like to hear about what we did with Dave's body after recording, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes where your star ratings and short reviews could help us get into the iTunes top 10. But you got to write them first. And I want nothing more than to be right there next to Adam Carolla. That would be awesome. (laughs) Huge thanks to Gabriel, our donor for the week. And if you'd like to keep us in Prometheus tickets and beers, because Matt refuses to see a movie at theaters that don't serve alcohol. It's unconstitutional. You can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, any comics you would like us to review, because we do that, guys. Send us your stuff. We love receiving stuff. And don't forget the THN mascot art contest. And guess what for? For t-shirts. That's right. You can wear your own t-shirts. So that we can make money off of your original work without paying you. That's right. Just like the comic book industry. Welcome to America. Ask Jack Kirby how that went. (laughs) Next week, it's the return of the comic pushers. So if there's something you've been wondering if you should read or something new that you're looking for, send us your list of stuff you like and we will cram a comic up your nose. Gross. Yes. If that's not enough, you head on over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query with the possibility of Jim Lee leaving the book. Who is your dream choice for artist of the Justice League? I'm sticking with Jimmy Chung. That's a good one. I don't think, has he ever drawn DC? I don't think he has. I don't remember. I don't recall if he did. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Ray Bradbury, one of the most important sci-fi writers of our time who DJ just admitted he has never read. Word to you, Ray, and that's one more nerd stripe ripped from DJ's uniform. Listen. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Welcome back, baby. Good to be back. <laughs>